turn to Psalms 107. Of course, this week starts our week of Thanksgiving, or as my wife knows it, the week that the ban on Christmas music is lifted, though I'm pretty sure that she plays it behind my back. But uh, it is a great week of Thanksgiving. Uh, we were talking with a, another, I was talking with someone this morning about it. It's a shame that we have to have a holiday to remind us to be thankful. Um, but at the same time, it's good. We look throughout the Old Testament, and we look through the New Testament as well, and what we see are God's people needing reminders to be thankful, needing monuments in their life, needing times when uh, they come across something that reminds them of all that God has done. And so it's good that we have Thanksgiving. It's good that we have a time that we can stop the rush and the busyness of life and to reflect. Reflect on what God has done. Reflect on what He is doing. And reflect on what He promises to do. And so this morning as we look at our passage, as we, as we come to the Psalm 107, I pray that as we go through it, as we read it, as we, we talk about it, as we, we explore it, that you will be looking inward a little bit to remember when God has done these things in your life. And my prayer is, is that as we get through this passage and as we, as we go through these words together, these words of God, that your heart will be stirred into thanksgiving, that your heart will be stirred into worship, um, because that is the purpose of this psalm, for us to remember what God has done and to drive us to worship, to drive us towards proclaiming his goodness to the world around us. So hopefully by now you found Psalm 107. We're going to read the whole passage, so if in the middle of that you need to, to have a seat, we understand. But if you would, please stand with us at the beginning here that we may honor the reading of God's word together, then we would greatly appreciate that. Psalm 107, starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in deserts, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God, and he spurned the counsel and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. 
Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, They went down to the depths. Their courage melted in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Father, just reading your word, I pray that our hearts are stirred inside of us. I pray that we can't help but to be excited as we think about your steadfast love that has been with us since you put us together in our mother's womb. That we couldn't help but to be excited by the wondrous works that you have shown our way. Lord, whether it be the meeting of provision or whether it be the safety of your hand, whether it be the salvation of our souls. Father, I pray, Lord, that this morning that the redeemed would say so, that we would be stirred to great things. Father, I pray that your word, Lord, would mount us up, Lord, that we would, Lord, that we would be just unending in our praises. Father, thank you for all that you have done for all that you are doing and all that you have promised to do. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we come to Thanksgiving, as we come to this passage, uh, there's some things that we need to look at at this passage that are important for us to, to understand, to better, to better grasp and to better prepare ourselves to understand the passage First, we need to look at the pictures of life. The psalmist gives us four pictures 
of life in this psalm itself. He gives us the picture of one who has wandered. One who has tried to find their own way, but instead has lost it. We find the picture of one who has rebelled and found themselves in prison. We find one that, because of the evilness of this world, finds themselves sick to the point of death. And we find a picture of those who would, in their ignorance and in their arrogance, proclaim that they will sustain themselves, that they will support themselves, that they will find their profit in themselves, and yet they find themselves tossed around by the storm. My hope is, and and my prayer is, as we go through this passage, and as we read these four pictures and kind of pull them out a little bit and, and explore them just briefly this morning, that you would be able to identify. That, that is the idea here. That is the, the heart of the psalmist driven by the Holy Spirit as he writes. That we would be able to look at these four pictures of life and that we would be able to identify with at least one of them. Though if you're like me, we can identify usually with more. There's, there's times that all of us have been through these scenarios. And ultimately that we would understand that though these are four different things and four different times in our life and four different situations that ultimately they describe the same picture which is what it means for humanity to be without God. The desperation of that situation, the desperation and the great need for our salvation and the holy, righteous, loving God who shows us great mercy. In our distress. So we see. We should look at these pictures of life. And begin to understand them. As we look through these pictures though. What you're going to see is repetition. And if you know much about the Old Testament. You know that in order to stress a point. In order to understand, make people understand. That this is what we really need to look at. That the writers would often repeat things. Over and over again. And so we see four things that are repeated. Two of them have to do with the people in the text. Two of them have to do with the Lord. First, we see repeated over and over man's rebellion. Over Throughout every picture, you're going to see that it's man's rebellion, man's sin that gets him in the spot that he is in. You see it in verse 4, they wandered. Verse 11, for they had rebelled. Verse 17, for their iniquities. Verse 26, their evil plight. All four stories, we get the idea that man is separated from God. That man finds himself in each of these situations because of things that he has done. Because the consequences of his evil. Not only do we see man's rebellion as as repeated over and over again, we see man's plea. Man finds himself in a desperate situation to the point where he has none other to turn to than God. And so in verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. The picture here, by the way, is very reminiscent of what we see throughout Exodus and Judges. The text before this and really throughout the Old Testament as God's people wander away. They find themselves because of their own sin, because of their decisions in desperate situations to the point where they have no choice but to turn back to God and plea that he would come and that he would save them. The great the great thing about this plea, the great thing about this passage is that I love that in verse 6, 13, 19 and 28. 
we see the second part of, or the third part of the repetition. We see God's salvation. God's salvation does not wait for a period. There is a comma. Look, for example, there in verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. That's not the end of the verse. It's not even the end of the sentence. And he delivered them from distress. Amen is right. God's salvation is immediate. Let us praise him for that. We're to be reminded of that over and over again. So we see man's rebellion, man's plea, man's salvation. And then we see over and over in this passage, God's steadfast love. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, and verse 43. The writer wants us to know one thing about this God that we serve. This God who brings salvation. This God who rescues. He is a God of steadfast love it's a love that never ends a love that never fades a love that doesn't change because we have found ourselves in these situations growing up as a child there were times when my parents didn't probably particularly like me because of rebellion because of an attitude because of whatever there were probably times there were definitely times that I was disciplined there were definitely times that I was rebuked. There were definitely times that I got the eye of the mother, which should strike fear and raise the hair on any child. But during any of those moments, I never doubted one thing. I never doubted the love of my parents. Now, I know that is not the testimony of everyone in this room. And I am sorry for that. And unfortunately, we have earthly parents who sometimes make mistakes. But praise God, we have a Father in heaven who gives us steadfast love. And it doesn't matter if you find yourself in rebellion. It doesn't matter if you find yourself storm-tossed. It doesn't matter if you find yourself stricken by illness. Know this, that you have a God who loves you. And He has proven it over and over again. The writer wants us to remember this. Lastly, we see here in things to look for, not only the repetition of all these things, but we see God's ruthless love. Now that sounds kind of odd, right? We don't normally kind of put the word ruthless and the word love together. But it's exactly what we see in these passages. When we were in Madagascar, one of the things I loved is you got to see, uh, you got to see Scripture from a different culture's point of view. When we look at the, the story of the prodigal son, we often think about the love of the father, right? We have the prodigal son, and he takes all of the, the wealth that he should have gotten from an inheritance. He demands it now, even while his father is still alive. He goes and he wastes all of it on a party life. Eventually, he finds himself poor and, and destitute, eating out of a pig's trough. And then he realizes in that moment that he desperately needs the father. And so he turns and he goes back home asking to just be a servant in his father's household. But what happens, of course, the father opens him with open arms or welcomes him with open arms and, and asks him to come back in. And he puts a new robe on him and he puts a ring and they throw a party. And it, it's just a, a beautiful picture of God's love for us. And we focus on God's love in terms of how the father reacts. But it was so cool to see in a different culture that they didn't focus necessarily on the father. What they focused on was the famine. 
They said, oh, the love of God that he sent a famine. How many times have you heard that? Like that, that doesn't compute with us, does it? But oh, that God loved this boy, this son, so much that God sent a famine that he may come to the realization of his need for the father. If the famine doesn't happen, is there ever going to be a moment of that stark realization of I need to go home? That is what they focused on. And I think as you read this passage, you're going to see lines like he bowed them down with hard labor. You're going to see lines like he rose up the waves. God's love for you is ruthless. He knows that you need to be in the arms of the Father. And he will go to whatever lengths it takes to make it happen. Sometimes it is hard. Sometimes it is storm-tossed. Sometimes it is difficult. But he will do what it takes to drive you back into the arms of the Father. Praise God. We have a God of steadfast love. We have a God of ruthless love. All right. Let's look at some of these pictures together. These are the things we need to be thinking about as we go through these pictures of life. And we're going to go through them relatively quickly. But I, I want us to just, just to get an idea of each one, to have, a, have an understanding of what's happening here. First, we have the wanderer. We have the wanderer. This is the individual who has decided to strike it out on their own, to find their own path in life. They're looking, we're told, for a city. They're looking for a place to establish themselves, a place of safety. But the farther they wander, the farther they walk, they can never find it. They can never find this place of safety. They can never find this place of satisfaction. They can never find this place of contentment. It tells us that they get to the point of starvation. Not knowing which way to turn, not knowing which way to go, they find themselves hungry and thirsty. And so they cry out to God, who, in his steadfast love, delivers them from their distress. He finds them. The wanderer is found. It says that he leads them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. It says there at the end in verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Oh, we have a God that sees the wanderer. He sees the one that has tried to find their own way and can never find it in this world. And as soon as they will turn and look for him, he is there. And he leads them to the place of safety that they have sought all along. He leads them to the place of contentment that they have longed for all along. It's an amazing thing. Maybe you can identify with this picture. Maybe you have been one to, to look for your own way. That you have searched for contentment. That you've searched for satisfaction. That you long for safety. That you long for, for approval by the world. That you long to, to feel like you're established and on a firm footing. But you found that in the world that that keeps moving. That the world puts it out there and says if you will do this, if you will buy this, if you'll pursue this, that man you'll have it. And then you get there and you do those things and you find that it's like grasping smoke. It looks like it's there, it looks tangible, and then, but once you grab a hold of it, it's nothing. Oh, I pray, I pray that you would look to the Lord. 
Because he will lead you to what you're looking for. He will give you that desire that he has put there. Maybe this morning you can identify that. Maybe you this morning can say, I was a wanderer. I was searching for my own. I, I was the seeker that was hungry and thirsty and could not be satisfied. And I have been found. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have been found. Second picture, we have the prisoner. We have the prisoner there in verse 10. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. These are the individuals that have known the truth. They know the word of God. They know They've they've heard the gospel, but they have rebelled from it. They have walked away from it. They have denied that they need it. And they have went their own way on purpose. And God, in his ruthless love, has let them find consequences of that. He's let them find the consequences of going your own way, of, of rejecting God. And they find themselves now in a prison of their own making. They are prisoners of addiction. They are prisoners of bad situations. They are prisoners to themselves and to the demands that they've put on themselves. They are not free. Though that is what they searched for. They denied the authority of God searching for freedom and what they found instead was a cell. But they cried out to God. They pleaded with him, and he came to them in their distress. He frees them. It says there in verse 13, or sorry, verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart, jumping to 16, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. He frees us from our sin, and he doesn't wait. I don't know about you, but, you know, it says there that they've rebelled against God, that they've, they've turned their backs on Him. We, we do that. We've experienced that, right? Like people in our lives have done that to us. They've turned their backs on us. They have wounded us. And sometimes, though seemingly not often, they come back to us and they say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. But how often do we go, I'm going to need some time for that. I'm going to need some time to get over that. I'm going to need some time. I don't know that I'm ready to forgive you just yet. We may not say that with our lips, but it's what we think in our minds and our hearts. That is not the God of steadfast love. God does not hear the pleas of those that have rebelled against him for forgiveness and look at his calendar and go, maybe next week. He doesn't look at the person and say, I don't think that you've suffered enough. But rather, he hears the plea of the one that has come back. And like the father in our story in the parable, he wraps his arms around and he throws a party. And he rejoices over one that has come. Maybe you're here this morning and you know what it's like to be in the prison of your own building. You know what it's like to be under the weight of your own guilt. You know what it's like to be trapped And this morning you can say, I have been freed. I have been freed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Then we come to the sick. We come to the sick. 
verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed food. Have you ever been that sick where, like, you smell food and you want to throw up? Or you're so weak that you're like, I I can't eat, I don't want to eat, and they're pleading with you, you have to eat? We've, We've been there, right? Many of us have been there. We know what that's like. The sick, they're broken. And it, and it says it's because of their iniquities. It's because of mistakes that they've made. Now, I want to be careful here, and we've talked about this before, but I want to be careful again. It's not always, in fact, it's not usually often, I would even say, that we can say there's a direct correlation between a particular sin and an illness. So, for example, we, we, we wouldn't necessarily say that it often happens that, you know, you go out and rob a bank, and tomorrow you have chicken pox, Okay? That's, that's generally not what we're talking about here, right? Now, that does happen, and we shouldn't discount that. Like, if you're sick, that might be a, an area to start and say, Lord, is there sin in my life that needs to be gotten rid of? What, what are you trying to get my attention with? But we shouldn't just assume that. I mean, we see that with the disciples, right? They're walking with Jesus one day, and they see a blind guy, and they say, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Is it because of his sin or the sin of his father's? And what does Jesus say? No, it's so that God may be glorified, and then Jesus heals the guy. So we know there's not always that direct one-to-one correlation. However, and again, we've said this before, we understand that sin has caused every illness, every death, and every malformity to every living thing since the beginning of Genesis to the revelation. Sin has caused it all. And my sin and your sin have been a part of it. I had a, a dad one time, we were talking, his son has, has an illness that it's never going to be cured. And, and he said, you know, this is why I hate sin. I didn't hate sin until I saw what it did to my son. Oh, that we would hate sin. We would hate it. With everything in our being, we would flee from it because of what it does in the lives of those we love. It makes us sick to the point of death. And yet, when we go to the Lord and plea, He saves. It says He sends His word out to heal them. And praise the Lord, He does this. Sometimes He does it physically, right? Sometimes the word of the Lord goes out and, and a person is healed. We, we all probably have stories like that that we can say we have seen the physical miracle of God in healing a person. Sometimes he does it through doctors and nurses and praise the Lord for those. Other times the healing is not physical. The healing is the healing of the soul. The Apostle Paul cries out in one of his letters, Asking the Lord to remove a thorn in his flesh. Asking that the Lord would relieve the suffering and what is God's response? My grace is enough. I'm enough. Sometimes the healing that needs to occur because of a sickness is not the physical healing. It is the healing of the soul to drive us back into the arms of a father. Maybe there's some of you here that would say, I was sick. Maybe it was a sickness of the heart. Maybe it was a sickness of, the, of a physical sickness. And you would stand and say, I have been healed. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. The last picture, the last group that we see here is the ignorant. I really wanted to put storm toss, but frankly, it didn't fit on the PowerPoint. So we went with ignorant. But it's the ignorant. It's the arrogant. 
that they, they see the word of the Lord, they see the world around them, and yet they desire through their own hard work to gain their own salvation, to gain their own profit, through their own attempts. James 4, 4 chapter 4 speaks to this. In James 4, 13, we see James say, some of you say that tomorrow we're going to go out and we're going to move to this town and we're going to spend some time there and we're going to trade and we're going to do business and we're going to make a profit. But what does he tell them? You people don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't have say over your life. Your life is a, is a wisp. It's, a, it's, a, it's there and then it's gone. He said, rather say, if God wills it, we'll go do such and such. And then in verse 16, he says, you boast in your arrogance. That's what's happening here in our passage. The individuals are planning without contemplating the Lord. They're doing business and, and tempting the Lord. They, they think that they can do it on their own. And they have no concept of the Lord. No concept of his desires for them. And so where do they find themselves? They find themselves tossed by the storm to and fro. The, the language there is amazing. The, the idea of the waves and they're raised up to heaven and then they're brought down to the lows. Very descriptive language for us to understand what's happening here. Tossed to and fro. I don't know about you, but I've been storm tossed before. I recognize this picture. I recognize chaos. I recognize when my life is turned upside down. And I call out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Put my feet on solid ground. And what does he do? But he rescues us from our distress. He saves us. The storm-tossed are saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you can identify with that. You can identify with the storm-tossed. You, you've been there and you've come out the other side. I love what he says here. Did you catch it? It says that they were glad that the waters were still. And then it says that he delivered them to their desired haven. He doesn't deliver. He doesn't reroute them. He just wants them to understand who's really in charge. He wants to push them back into the, into the arms of the Father. It's not wrong for them to do business. It's not wrong for them to work hard. What is wrong is for them to do it without any understanding of the Lord and his workings in their life. It's wrong for them to do it without his guidance. And so he, he gives them the storm for them to recognize who's really in charge. But at the end of the day, he delivers them to their safe place, to their destination. This is a God of steadfast love. Maybe you can say this morning, this is my story. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Our psalmist, through the leading of the Spirit, ends our ends our passage, ends the psalm, starting in verse 33 through 43. And he kind of gives a summation of the wondrous works that he's been talking about. Throughout this, he's been saying, Thank, be thankful for the steadfast love of God and be thankful for the wondrous works that he does towards man. And he kind of gives a summation. 
He starts there by explaining how God is a God of justice, how, how he pushes us back into the arms of the Father. He says, he turns the rivers into desert, springs of water into thirsty land, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. This is the same idea that's happened in the other four pictures. Man sins and God acts. God doesn't let them just stay that way, but he does something that will push them back into the arms of the Father. But then we see the great wondrous works. We see first his provision. We see his provision. It says he turns the desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. He satisfies the hungry. He gives safety to those who have no shelter. He blesses. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. Great verses, great verses for this time of year as we think about harvest, as we think about the thankfulness of everything that God gives us. His provision, to those, and it's provision to all of us. Jesus says that the Father gives rain on the good and the evil, meaning that he gives grace to even those who don't deserve it. Oh, that we would remember the provision of this wondrous God. He gives his justice. Look there in verse 39. He says that he blesses and that he takes care of. And he says, however, there are still times when bad things happen. They are brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow. There are going to be times when, when difficult things happen. And God responds in his justice. He says there in the, at the end of that verse, he says, in verse 40, he says he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless ways. We may say, wait a minute, what, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with justice? The idea here is fairly simple, really. The idea is that the prince, the king, was supposed to be the one that makes sure that these things didn't happen. He was the one that was supposed to, the king was supposed to make sure oppression didn't happen. He was supposed to be the one of justice. He was supposed to be the one looking out for the people. He was the one that's supposed to prevent evil. God had ordained the king to do those things. And if the people experience them, then God gives justice upon the king who has not done his job. And he makes him wander. We see a picture of this, by the way, with Nebuchadnezzar. If you go back in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar denies that God is God. He he says that he is God. He lifts himself up and, and he doesn't take care of the people. And God sends him out and makes him go crazy insane. Until Nebuchadnezzar can, re- can recognize who is in charge. Oh, that we would understand God, not only God's provision, but that we would understand his justice. We look around the world today and the world looks like it's on fire. It looks, it, we, we are surrounded by chaos, right is wrong, wrong is right, upside down, everywhere you look. And yet I would plead with you to understand that if it were not for the justice of God, if it were not for the hand of God, you could not imagine the horror. Oh, that we would recognize God's justice, that we would be thankful for it. Lastly, we see his blessing. We see his blessing. We see there in verse 41. He raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Oh, the steadfast love of God. Though we rebel against him, though we we chase our own path, Though we try to find contentment in other places, when we plead with him, when we call out to him, he is there. The passage gives us 
four commands for thanksgiving. For us to understand these things, and it says, this is how you should respond. If you, if you know of this picture in your mind, if you can identify with one of these things and say, yes, I have been there, I have experienced this in my life. These are the four things that, that the passage speaks to. First, give thanks to God. Verse 2, let the redeemed say so. Brothers and sisters, we cannot keep silent. We should not keep silent because the God of all the universe has done such a great thing. Man, we find a $20 bill on the sidewalk and you would have thought that our whole lives have been turned upside down by the way we talk about it. Let us do the same for what the Lord has done in our lives. Give thanks to God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them all the second, let us worship God. Verse 22, it says, let them offer thank- sacrifices of thanksgiving. Let us sing songs of joy. Let us worship. If I were to bring a stranger into our midst, maybe someone from the outside of our culture, and to have them watch you praise the Lord, to have them watch you worship, what do you think their responses would be? What do you think they, how would they describe you? Let us be a people that sing with joy. Now understand that there are times in life when singing with joy is not easy. There are times that we sing songs of grief. Look at the Psalms. I mean, they're all over the map. The, the highs and the lows, and that, and that should be us. But let us sing. Let us praise. Let us worship this God that has done these great things. Verse 32, let us speak of God. It says, let them extol him in the congregation of the people. Let them praise him in the assembly of the elders. Again, we're not to keep this silent. We give thanks with our heart. We, we, we sit there before the Lord and we, we talk about the things he's done between me and him, between, between us as individuals and, and the Lord of heaven. We worship God in the congregation and we speak of him wherever we go. Can you imagine If people knew the difference that he made. That's why people don't come to Christ because they don't know that he actually makes a difference. What if we talked about it? What if we shared the stories? What if we let them see the picture of our life like we see the pictures here in this chapter? Lastly, let us meditate on God. Verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of God. Whoever is wise, let him meditate on these things. Let them meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's ponder these things. Let's mull over them, not forgetting them. Sometimes I think we forget very easily how the Lord has rescued. It takes thanksgiving. It takes us looking at a chapter like this For us to remember, I once was the wanderer. I once was the prisoner. I once was the sick. I once was the storm-tossed. Sometimes it takes something like this for us just to remember. Because we tend to forget the great steadfast love of the Lord. I pray this morning. That as we come to a time of response, that you you would be able to identify with one of these pictures, or maybe multiple of these pictures, 
And that you would respond to the Lord in your remembrance of what he has done for you. I pray that as you go through this week, that you would tell the stories to your kids and your grandkids and and even strangers of the greatness of what he has done for you. That your thanksgiving wouldn't just be ho-hum, let's eat. But thanksgiving as you gather together with friends and with family, that you would say, oh, the God that we have. Oh, the God that we worship. Let the redeemed say so. I pray that if you have not experienced this, maybe you, you are in this room and you find yourself right here. You find yourself a wanderer searching for safety, searching for something sure, and you cannot find it. You find yourself a prisoner to addiction. You find yourself a prisoner in the, in the cell of your own making in difficult situations. You find yourself sick and in need of healing, maybe physically, maybe spiritually. You find yourself tossed by the storms of life without any hope for haven, any hope for rescue. Oh, that you have a God who loves you dearly. He has proven it over and over again. Proven it through the death of his son on a cross. And he desires to bring you home into the arms of a father who will never stop loving. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up as we go into a time of response. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as I, as I say these words, as I think about the, grand, the great stories that are told in this passage, as I think about the people that experience them, Lord, I, I look and it's like reading my own story and seeing the things in my life where I have rebelled, where I have done wrong, where I have tried to find my own way only to lose it. And yet every time I have appealed to you, every time I have have cried out, Lord, you have never wasted a moment. You don't wait for a new sentence even. Lord, you come and you save. Oh, Father, that I would be better about telling that story. That I would be better about helping people realize that you are still at work in our lives. That you desire so much more for us. Lord, I pray for those in the room, Lord, that we would be able to have great thankfulness for this God of steadfast love. That we have great thankfulness for the ways that you have rescued us each in our own individual stories. That we would, our praise and our worship would be able to reflect that. That our lives would be able to reflect that. And that others would desire to have it. Lord, I pray that if there's one in this room, Lord, that they find themselves in this place. Lord, that they would call out to you and they would know the peace. They would know the salvation of God. I pray all of this in the great name of Jesus Christ.